Hello everyone my name is Nirmit Verma and today i will talk on emotional development and temperament at what age do infants begin to experience demonst- and demonstrate discrete emotions they can't describe their subjective feelings of course so efforts to answer these questions have focused mainly on discrete facial expressions outward signs of distinct emotions Research on emotional development has documented that such expressions appear within the first few months of life. Infants as young as 2 months old demonstrate social smiling in response to human faces. They show laughter by the time they are 3 or 4 months old and other emotions such as anger, sadness and surprise also appear quite early and are readily recognizable to adults. Interestingly some expressions appear before others or at least are more common at early ages for example now following medical in- inoculations 2 month old infants show pain expressions more frequently than anger expressions a few months later however they show anger expressions more often than pain these findings and many others underscore an important point Emotional development and cognitive development occur simultaneously and there are many connections between them. The finding that anger expressions in response to painful experiences become more common during the first 18 months of life can be interpreted for instance as reflecting infants growing ability to understand who or what has caused their discomfort. As they grew older, infants also acquire increasing capacities to read the emotional expressions of others. At 3 months, they become upset when their mothers show an immobile facial expression. By 8 or 10 months, they actively seek information about other people's feelings and begin to demonstrate growing understanding of their own mental states and those of others and increasingly sophisticated theory of mind. thus after a fall one year olds will often look at their caregivers and depending on their reactions will cry or laugh that is they engage in social referring finally children also grow in ability to regulate their own emotional reactions and to express their emotions to others infants have very little capacity to do this but within a few years they begin to engage in active efforts to understand and regulate their own feelings if you have ever seen a 4 year old cover his ear or eyes while watching a frightening television show or film you have witnessed such efforts directly the child involved is trying to regulate his own feelings by preventing exposure to something he doesn't like children's abilities to regulate their emotions increase through the great school years as just the range of strategies available to them for expressing these feelings for communicating them to others by the time they are 10 their four most children are quite adept at these tasks for instance they have learned to express sadness both verbally and non-verbally in order to gain sympathy and support and to withhold or disguise anger in order to avoid adult disapproval for such reactions example zeman and shipman 1996 progress in both these tasks regulating and expressing emotions 
plays a key role in children's ability to form increasingly complex social relationships, a topic to which we will soon return. Temperament Individuals' Differences in Emotional Style Temperament stable temperament meaning stable individual differences in the quality or intensity of emotional reactions do you know anyone who is almost always bouncy cheerful and upbeat and what about the other extreme someone who is usually reserved quiet and gloomy psychologists refer to such stable individual differences in characteristic mood activity level and emotional reactivity as temperament what are the key dimensions of temperament most experts agree that they involve positive emotionality the extent to which an infant shows pleasure and is typically in a good happy mood distress anger and the extent to which an infant shows distress and the emotions of anger fear the extent to which an infant shows fear in various situations and activity level an infant's overall level of activity or energy Large individual differences occur in these dimensions and these are sometimes easy to spot even during brief interactions with infants. On the basis of such differences, some researchers have suggested that many infants can be divided into three basic groups. Easy children, about 40% are infants who are generally cheerful, adapt readily to new experiences and quickly establish routines for many activities of daily life. Difficult children, about 10% are irregular in daily routines, are slow to accept new situations or experiences and show negative reactions more than their infants. Slow to warm up children, 15% are relatively inactive and apathetic and show mild negative reactions when exposed to unexpected events to new situations or new situations. The remaining 35% of infants cannot be readily classified under one of these headings. How stable are such differences in temperament? Research findings suggest that they are only moderately stable early in life, from birth until about 24 months. After that time, however, they appear to be highly stable. Growing evidence suggests that individual differences in temperament are at least partially genetic in origin. However, different aspects of temperament may be influenced by genetic and environmental factors to varying degrees. Whatever the relative contribution of genetic and environmental factors to temperament, individual differences in emotional style have important implications for social development. For example, a much higher proportion of difficult than easy children experience behavioral problems later in life. They find it more difficult to adjust to school, to form friendships, and to get along with others. In addition, many situations... Many highly reactive children demonstrate shyness as they grow older and enter an increasingly broad range of social situations. Finally, there is growing evidence for the view that some aspects of temperament can be influenced at attachments. The kinds of bonds infants form with their caregivers and hence important aspects of children's personality and even their abilities to form close relationships with other persons when they are adults. We will return to attachment shortly, but firstly, let's consider another aspect of emotional and social growth, the development of empathy. 
empathy, responding to others' emotion. Earlier, we noted that even newborns show more distress in response to the cry of another infant than to the sound of their own cries. Does such responsiveness mark the beginnings of empathy? Our ability to recognize the emotions of others, to understand these feelings and to experience them ourselves, at least to a degree? Many psychologists believe that it does and that our capacity for empathy then increases during the first two years of life. During those years, as I leave it, first empathy meaning, our ability to recognize the emotions of others, to understand these feelings and to experience them ourselves at least to a degree. During those years, our cognitive development permits us. First, to distinguish ourselves clearly from others to form a concept of ourself and then to construct an ever more sophisticated theory of mind, which allows us to understand that others have feelings that may differ from our own. Infants as young as 18 months old attempt to do something comforting with when another child is distressed, for instance, touching or parting that child and by the time they are two, they may offer an object, example, a teddy bear or go to seek adult help. At age four, most children can understand why others are upset to have a grasp of the kinds of situations that can cause people emotional distress. Ultimately, empathy develops to the point where individuals experience guilt if they view themselves as the cause of another's distress. Empathy also serves as one important source of pro-social behavior, actions designed to help another in some way that do not necessarily benefit the person who performs them. Clearly, then the development of empathy represents an important aspect of emotional and social development. Attachments, the beginnings of love. Do infants love their parents? They can't say so directly, but by the time they are six or seven months old, most appear to have a strong emotional bond with the person who cares for them. This strong affectional tie between infants and their caregivers is known as attachments and is an important sense the first form of love we experience towards others. What are the origins of this initial form of love? How can it be measured? These are among the questions developmental psychologists have sought to answer in their research on attachments. First, let's hear attachment meaning. A strong affectional bond between infants and their caregivers. The measurement and origins of attachments. That infants form strong attachments to the persons who care for them is obvious to anyone who has ever watched what happens when babies are separated from their caregivers. Actually, infants' reactions to such separations play a central role in one way psychologists measure attachment. This is known as the strange situation test. A procedure in which a caregiver leaves a child alone with a stranger for a few minutes and then returns. This test is based on a theory proposed by Bowlby 
1969, suggesting that attachments involves a balance between infants' tendencies to seek to be near to their caregivers and their willingness to explore new environments. The quality of attachments. Bowlby contended is revealed by the degree to which the infant behaves as if the caregiver, when present, serves as a secure base of operations, provides comfort and reassurance, and by the effectiveness of infant caregiver interactions when the caregiver returns after a separation. Do babies cry when their mother leaves the room? How do they react when she returns? Do they appear more confident in her presence despite the presence of the stranger? Research using the strange situations test have found that infants differ in the quality or style of their attachments to their caregivers. In fact, most show one of four distinct patterns of attachment. Most infants show secure attachments. They freely explore new environments, touching base with their caregiver periodically to assure themselves that is she present and will respond if needed. They may or may not cry on separation from this person, but if they do, it is because of her absence and then and when she returns, they actively seek contact with her and stop crying very quickly. Another smaller group of infants show insecure avoidant attachments. They don't cry when their caregiver leaves and they react to the stranger in much the same way as to their caregiver. When the caregiver returns, they typically avoid her or are slow to greet her. A third group of infants show a pattern known as insecure ambivalent attachment. Before separation, these infants seek contact with their caregiver. After she leaves and then returns, however, they first seek her but then resist or reject her offers to comfort, hence, them, hence the term ambivalent, a fourth pattern containing elements of both avoidant and ambivalent patterns, has sometimes been suggested. It is known as disorganized attachments or disoriented attachments. However, it is not clear that such a pattern exists and is distinct from the others. Interestingly, the relative frequency of the three major patterns of attachments, secure, insecure, avoidant, and insecure and ambivalent, differs across cultures. These differences probably reflect contrasting approaches to child rearing in these cultures. For instance, the rate of insecure, avoidant attachments is relatively high in Germany, perhaps reflecting the fact that German parents often emphasize independence. In any case, it seems clear that studying such differences in attachment patterns across cultures may provide important clues concerning the effects of various child rearing practices on infant attachment. The existence of these distinct patterns of attachment raise an intriguing and important question. What factors influence attachment and the particular form it takes? One factor that was long assumed to play a central role is maternal sensitivity, a caregiver's alertness to infant signals appropriate and prompt responses to these flexibility of attention and behavior, appropriate level of control over the infant and so on. It was long assumed that caregivers who showed a high degree of sensitivity would be more likely to produce secure attachments in their infants than caregivers who did not and some research findings offered support for their view.
However, more recent evidence suggests that maternal sensitivity may actually play a somewhat smaller role in determining infant's attachments and that other factors such as infant temperament may actually be more important. The long-term effects of attachment style Do differences in patterns of attachment have effects that persist beyond infancy? A growing body of evidence indicates that they do. During childhood, youngsters who are securely attached to their caregivers are more sociable, are more sociable, better at solving certain kinds of problems, more tolerant of frustration and more flexible and persistent in many situations than children who are insecurely attached. Further, securely attached children seem to experience fewer behavior problems during later childhood. Perhaps even more surprising, some findings suggest that differences in attachment style in infancy may have strong effects on the kinds of relationship individuals form when they are adults. People who were avoidantly attached to their caregivers as infants seem to worry constantly about losing their romantic partners. They didn't trust their caregivers as infants and they don't trust spouses or lovers when they are adults. Similarly, persons who showed ambivalent attachment in infancy seem to be ambivalent about romantic relationships too. They want them but they are also fear them. But they also fear them because they perceive their partners as distant and unloving. In contrast, persons who were securely attached to their caregivers as infants seek closeness in their adult relationships are more comfortable with having to depend on their partners. In a sense, then it seems that the pattern of our relationships with others is set at least to a degree by the nature of the very first relationship we form attachment to our caregiver. Contact, comfort and attachment, the soft touch of love. Before concluding, it's important to consider an additional factor that seems to play a key role in attachment. This is close physical contact between infants and their caregivers. Such contact known as contact comfort involves the hugging, cuddling and caresses and caresses infants receive from their caregivers. And it seems to be an essential ingredient in attachment. The research that first established this fact is a classic in the history of psychology. It was conducted by Harry Harlow and his co-workers. When Harlow began his research, infant's attachment was the farthest thing from his mind. He was interested in testing the effects of brain damage on learning since he could not perform such experiments with humans. He chose to work with rhesus monkeys. To prevent the baby monkeys from catching various diseases, Harlow raised them alone away from their mothers. This led to a surprising observation. Many of the infants seemed to become quite attached to small scraps of cloth present in their cages. They would hold tightly to these security blankets and protest loudly when they were removed for cleaning. This led Harlu to wonder whether the babies actually needed contact with soft materials. To find out, he built two artificial mothers one consisted of bare wire, while the other possessed a soft terry cloth cover. Conditions were then arranged so that the monkey's babies could obtain milk only from the wire mother. According to principles of conditioning, they do 
they should soon have developed a strong bond to this cold wire mother. After all, she was the source of their nourishment. To Harlow's surprise, this did not happen. The infants spent almost all their time clinging tightly to the soft cloth covered mother and left her to visit the wire mother only when driven by pangs of hunger. Additional and even more dramatic evidence that the infants formed strong bonds to the soft mothers was obtained in further research, in which monkeys babies were exposed to various forms of rejection by their artificial mothers. Some of the mothers blew them away with strong jets of air. Others contained metal spikes that suddenly appeared from inside the cloth covering and pushed the infants away. None of these actions had any lasting effects on the baby's attachments. They merely waited until the periods of rejection were over and then clung to their cloth mother as tightly as before. On the basis of these and related findings, Harlow concluded that a monkey baby's attachment to its mother rests, at least in part, in her ability to satisfy its need for contact comfort, direct contact with soft objects, satisfying other physical needs such as that for food is not enough. Do such effects occur among human babies as well? Some studies seem to suggest that they may. For example, two and three years old children placed in a strange room play for longer periods of time without becoming distressed when they have a security blanket present than when it is absent. In fact, they play almost as long as they do when their mother is in the room. These findings suggest that for the blanket attached children, the presence of this object provides the same kind of comfort and reassurance as that provided by their mothers. So, human infants too may have a need for contact comfort and the gentle hugs, cares and cuddling they obtain from their mothers and other caregivers may play a role in the inf for the formation of attachments.